My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Whatever you might think of it, the carbon tax, or as they would politely correct you, the price on pollution, is a policy that Justin Trudeau's liberals are extremely proud of. Many people would call it the singular achievement of this government, the kind of stuff that drags a country into the future and can cement a legacy. Even its critics, of which there are many, would grant that it was as big a step as a government can take. Of course, those same critics would right now tell you that even the government recognizes that it was a mistake, and that's why they are now beginning to cave on their singular achievement. We are announcing a three-year pause on the federal pollution price on heating oil so that we can give everyone the time and ability to switch to heat pumps. This is, in the grand scheme of things, a pretty tiny carve-out. It's a pause in one category in one area for a limited time. But of course, it's a precedent. And it's a precedent that worries climate advocates who know that we need rapid steps forward, not small, halting steps back. If you can suspend it on heating oil, then at what point does somebody come along and say, well, what about this particular fuel of choice? And so are we going to start seeing that we now see an undoing of the carbon tax? So why would the Liberals stand down even on just a small, small piece of the carbon tax? What is the goal here? What message does it send? How is this move being received in Ottawa, and perhaps more importantly, by all those other places and people and industries that didn't get this exemption but are right now dreaming of the next one? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cormac McSweeney is the Parliament Hill reporter for City News, which by extension means Parliament Hill reporter for The Big Story. Hello, Cormac. Hello. Before we get into all the reaction and all the back and forth and what this means for the future going forward of uh, electoral politics in Canada and the future of climate change, first, can you just explain to us what exactly is happening to Canada's carbon tax? Yeah, so... Let me take you back to Thursday, and all of a sudden we get uh, sort of last-minute notice from the Prime Minister's office that at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, he's going to hold a news conference to talk about affordability for Atlantic Canadians. Now, at that news conference, with his whole Atlantic team behind him, I think there are like 24 MPs in total, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that his government is pausing the carbon tax for three years only on home heating oil for provinces where the federal carbon tax is being applied because just to remind listeners, not every province uses the federal carbon tax. You know, provinces were given the option of setting up their own systems as long as they hit certain targets. But I I think most provinces now are under the federal carbon tax pricing plan. But home heating oil 
is still widely used in Atlantic Canada and in some rural areas in Canada. So this really impacts those homes. And uh, the government says it's going to save an average household that uses heating oil about $250 at the current rate. There were other announcements as well that sort of go hand in hand with this. Not only are they pausing the carbon tax because of what they say has become an unaffordable rate for home heating oil right now, which is more way more expensive than uh, things like natural gas, which a lot of Canadians use to, to heat their homes. Mm. But they're also increasing the maximum amount uh, that the government is putting towards uh, this sort of joint provincial-federal program to help people make a switch to what's called a heat pump, an electrical sort of thermal way to, to heat the home and kind of looks a little bit like, you know, your your central air system on the side of the house. But they're going to help people make that switch. So essentially, the new money they're pumping in will make these heat pumps for low and middle income households free. Uh, and then they're going to get a $250 payment outright to just sign up to be a part of that program to get their free heat pump put in. And then on top of all of this, the federal carbon tax comes with a rebate that is handed to all voters who have to pay for it right. uh, under the federal system. But for rural Canadians, they have already received a bit of a top-up on those payments because, of course, they have less access to things like public transit, let's say. So they they have to use their cars more. They have to do certain things that causes them to be uh, hit a little bit harder than somebody who might be living in downtown Toronto or Vancouver. And so they are to receive a 10% top-up. The government's increasing that to 20% to try and help deal with these issues. So affordability and climate change were the focus of the announcement from the federal government on Thursday. And yet all we've talked about for the uh, four or five days since then is that one sliver of it, of the carbon tax that's being paused because presumably of the precedent it sets. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a, a policy, the carbon pricing plan that the government has put forward. It's a policy that they have stuck to no matter what the objections were. They've gone to court many times to defend it. And we have seen, as a result, uh, the government sticking to its guns in almost every scenario. And then, all of a sudden, we see the, this little climb down, this little carve out. And I, I will point out for our listeners as well that not many homes in Canada nationally actually use home heating oil. Um, I believe Stats Canada says in, in 2021, only 3% of households nationally relied on home heating oil. Hmm. However, that's disproportionately in Atlantic Canada. So like, I, I think it's something like half of households in PEI use home heating oil. Nova Scotia, it's something like 40% or close to 40%. You know, in the Atlantic provinces, there are still a lot of people who do use these things. And, and it does look like the prime minister, on the face of it, is undermining his own policy. And in fact, you know, there there was questions about why they would do this. Why yeah. would they pull down from one of the key policy platforms that they've had? I was going to ask you exactly that question. Yeah. And, and in a nutshell, their argument is that, no, 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 this is a good thing. Uh, so they're explaining it this way. They're saying, you know, home heating oil is actually worse for the environment and, and more expensive for those who use it. But because it's more expensive because of that higher cost and the expenses involved with switching a system from an oil system in a house to a heat pump system. They say it's too difficult for, especially for low and middle income households to actually make that switch. Right. And so the pause plus the incentive to get a free heat pump, uh, they say is the good thing. And what they're actually going to do with this, their argument is they're actually going to accelerate their plans for reaching climate goals as a result of doing this, I mean, not totally. This is just one small piece to a much larger puzzle. 
But on this front, they say they're going to accelerate their plans on this by giving that extra incentive. And so they say they're going to have a massive help for both affordability and for our climate targets. And as a result of all of that, they're distinguishing home heating oil from, you know, other heating options and costs would have, which have popped up in this debate. Well, let's take that at face value for now, because sure, and that seems uh, sensible if your concern is that specific cost and that specific region. More broadly, though, as I mentioned in terms of precedent, what was the reaction to this move from the other parties? Yeah, and, you know, I think there are some in this country who hope that this trickle uh, turns into a flood of exemptions and changes to the carbon tax. Let's start with a reaction to it by Atlantic premiers, because this is something that Atlantic premiers and Atlantic MPs have been pushing for some time. They're saying something needs to be done to change this because of the dis- what they say was the disproportionate way that their region was being hit by the carbon tax, specifically on home heating oil. Atlantic MPs and premiers are very happy with this move. I believe one premier, uh, Blaine Higgs, who is a conservative and has never really seen eye to eye with the prime minister on a lot of things, was happy about this, but then also said it didn't go far enough and he needs to remove the tax altogether with the carbon tax. Conservatives, of course, are not happy with this because of what they see as unfair divisions. And so uh, they're suggesting that one region is being given special treatment while other regions are not getting the same, saying, look, if you want to try and help people with home heating costs, don't just do it for oil, do it for all home heating costs, get rid of the carbon tax. Yeah, obviously the end game for the conservatives is to eliminate the carbon tax altogether, the so-called axe the tax phrase that they've been using quite a bit recently is something that uh, they're pushing for. Opposition leader Pierre Polyev, who wants to become prime minister, was even daring the prime minister in question period to call an election on the carbon tax and face them to voters to see whether voters want to sort of continue on with the carbon tax. So obviously this is a political hotspot. Several premiers out west are also calling this unfair. They think that natural gas, propane, other modes of heat options should be taken into account with all of this. Uh, the others use electricity for heating options in their home, and they believe the carbon tax should be axed for that as well. Uh, premier Scott Moe actually taking a very interesting stand a little bit further than we've seen from other premiers, saying that Saskatchewan on January 1st, if they don't see other breaks, Saskatchewan's going to stop collecting the carbon tax on natural gas. And since the carbon pricing plan is in law, in federal law, something upheld by the courts, this raises a question of what do you do with a province that seems to be doing something illegal? In fact, the justice minister was asked about that after cabinet, and he did not address the question. He just walked away. I'm sure he has to look into it as well. He didn't try to address whether or not he would jail Premier Mo. <laughs> I don't think they would go that far. But nonetheless, um, you know, there there are requirements involved in this law. There may be some legal avenues. I'm not sure that Saskatchewan is looking at, but it has unanimous support in the Saskatchewan legislature. And I believe it's only the Saskatchewan party and, and the NDP in there. But nonetheless, um, they have unanimous support. So it's definitely interesting to see the reaction. And actually, experts are also, from a different point of view, criticizing this move. Um, I will say NDP leader Jagmeet Singh also thinks that it's unfair and divisive, and he has spoken out about this, and he thinks GST should be eliminated on all home heating tax as well. But what's also interesting is some of the experts, some of the people who are pushing for a carbon tax and think that this is a good plan that should work. The reason why they're upset with all of this is because they see this climb down as bringing more inconsistency 
to a plan that would work. Yeah. And one thing that a lot of experts have said is a carbon pricing plan needs to be consistent for it to work. There were some hesitations and some uh, worries about the initial plan from the from the federal government in the first place because instead of doing a blanket approach, forcing it on everybody, they said provinces who wanted to could create their own systems. And as long as they hit the targets, you know, we don't care what they do to a certain degree. And as some provinces have taken them up on that, saying, fine, we'll lead the charge. Uh, some provinces were already well ahead of the federal government on this, like British Columbia. But now we're seeing some exemptions here and possibly some exemptions there, uh, depending on who you're talking to. Some people are hoping for that. And this is the worry that they have. They say it needs to be consistent and it creates uncertainty and that could lead to more problems down the road. And it could really undermine the credibility of Canada's carbon pricing plan. So a different sort of side of this debate where even supporters are saying, we don't really like exemptions like this. And they think that the government could have achieved the same goal of, of trying to help people make that switch by just simply increasing incentives rather than pulling back or pausing parts of the carbon pricing plan. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. So what happens now to all these requests, all these suggestions that things could be done better? The government has now clearly, whether it meant to or not, opened up a can of worms. What have they said about, well, maybe we should carve out natural gas, or maybe it should be incentives instead, or maybe we should ax the GST on whatever. You know, they've kind of brought those requests on themselves. What are they going to do about it? Well, you know, if if the fear from experts was uncertainty, the government is attempting at least to try and bring some certainty back to the debate. And they're saying quite clearly after a cabinet meeting, no more changes. They say that the heating oil was a very specific issue. And because they saw an avenue to accelerate and actually improve the situation of switching people to heat pumps, they took this action even though premiers and others are saying that it's unfair because it creates an unclear, uh, uneven playing field for people who are trying to struggle with this, you know, people using propane, natural gas, et cetera. Cleaner options are now being penalized while people using dirtier options are, are, are getting a break for, for a temporary period of time. And so they're, they're po all pointing this out. But the government says no more carve-outs. They said this was just a one specific issue that they had to deal with, that they saw an avenue to improve things. They had been in talks with Atlantic premiers, Atlantic MPs for quite some time to try and deal with this, but no more changes are being made. However, one could argue the damage has been done. You have a lot of uncertainty. You've sort of revived a debate as a result of this change that had kind of dwindled away for a while. Mm -hmm. Ontario Premier Doug Ford uh, decided to announce he was extending 
his provincial gas tax break on people who drive in, in the province of Ontario. And during that, he decided to focus very heavily on these changes and calling on the federal government to do its part and axe the tax altogether, trying to say, you know, it would save more than double what Canadians would be or Ontarians would be saving under his provincial gas tax cut. So it's it's definitely going to be a debate that is going to be ongoing. It's been revived a bit as a result of this. I think uh, the critics to the carbon tax have been emboldened uh, by this change, seeing an avenue to poke holes in the government, to make the government seem like it's being unfair to other people across the country. And the critics are coming out in full force. Uh, Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan actually addressed this as well, saying, look, there was very divisive debate in the lead up to this. There's going to be very divisive, divisive debate after this. He says you can't, as a country, as one of, you know, the biggest energy producing countries in the world, we cannot have a debate about trying to rein in our pollution without having any impacts on people's lives. He says it's going to happen. We have to be prepared that this will continue and it might even escalate. But it's something that he says needs to be done because we only have one planet and we need to try our best to try and save the environment. And so that's that's the argument that he put forward, but uh, I, I don't think this debate is going away anytime soon. Fair enough in terms of that argument. There are a lot of pundits saying that this is more than a small carve-out intended to help with affordability. This is a desperation move by a government seeing itself losing the issue to the opposition in Polyev. What's your sense from covering the government and covering the discussion around this of just where this government is at right now. Uh, yeah, that suggestion is definitely out there that the, this decision was not just a policy decision, but a political decision and, and that the Trudeau government is trying to save seats in Atlantic Canada where, you know, they made this announcement right before conservative leader Pierre Polyev was going to have an axe the tax rally. Right. And and so the timing was very interesting indeed. And uh, right afterwards at his rally, Pierre Polyev wasted no time in bringing this up. You know, he's he can be a very slick politician in that sense. And he immediately started mocking the prime minister, uh, but also saying that the prime minister was scared. He was scared of what the conservatives are going to do in the East Coast. And so he's making these changes just to try and uh, and save the liberal fortunes because they have a lot of the seats in Atlantic Canada at the moment. And if if you're going by the polls, strictly by what we're seeing today, things don't look good for the liberals. That is for sure. Now, obviously, the liberal ministers and MPs are all denying that it is a politically motivated decision. Uh, They say this is not about seats. This was specifically about home eating oil. It goes beyond just Atlantic Canada. However, obviously, it's it's going to be much bigger for Atlantic Canada than anywhere else. But you look at 338 Canada, 338 Canada, which is um, a website that sort of aggregates polls and makes assumptions on numbers and tries to give you a forecast of what all the different pollsters are saying about where things are. And you take a look at the map that they have, and it is almost blue across the board. And clearly, the liberals have been trailing in the polls for some time by double digits. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can trail and still win. The last two elections, I think the liberals lost the popular vote, but still won the election. But the issue is that now we're just seeing a lot of provinces turning blue and the conservatives dominating even on the East Coast. I think every province is looking blue, according to 338 right now. So... You know, whether the government 
is doing this for political purposes or not, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely uh, a feeling uh, around Parliament Hill like the government is not in a good position. And, you know, we have the numbers to back that up with the polling numbers right now. Every time you bring up polls, every politician will tell you that they don't believe in the polls unless, of course, it serves their purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they will. But they say they're governing based on what they believe is the right thing to do for Canadians. And the only poll that matters is the poll on Election Day. But it's 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 not a good position for the Trudeau government right now. Whether this decision is politically motivated or not, the, the government says it wasn't. Uh, the opposition claims it's it's desperation flailing, as as conservative Pierre Polyev will tell you. But I think the liberals have to do a lot right now to try and convince Canadian voters uh, that they are still the party that deserves to lead this country because currently, we're not going to an election tomorrow, but currently things don't look good for them at the moment. And uh, this could be one piece to a puzzle of the liberals trying to turn their fortunes around, but that remains to be seen. Well, lastly then, what comes next? And I ask that in terms of let's, you know, take the liberals at their word that there are no more car votes coming. Uh, this will continue, I'm sure, to be something people criticize them for. You mentioned that Polyev has challenged the liberals to go to the polls over this. What are the chances that that happens? And I ask that because when you look at what's coming up, the NDP have also criticized the liberals for this. And I believe we are also supposed to start getting into pharmacare policy uh, this fall because there's a deadline of the end of the year, right? Are, are we heading for, I guess, a tumultuous next couple of months in Ottawa that, that could go one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, the Liberals have until the end of this parliamentary session to introduce their pharmacare legislation. So we'll see what comes of that. We do know that talks are underway. The NDP has publicly signaled that it is not happy with what is being put forward by the Liberals. Uh, they, do, they don't feel it goes far enough. The Liberals have said they have to live within their means while introducing pharmacare and, and respecting, you know, the budgetary restraints that they've been talking about for some time. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there, because if the NDP is not happy with it, that could kill the supply and confidence deal that the NDP has with the Liberals in order to prop them up as a government. This is still a minority government. To remind listeners, the, the Liberals do not run the show in the sense that at any moment the NDP could pull out. And if they did pull out, uh, you know, we could be at that nervous watching every single, you know, budgetary vote or financial vote because it could topple the government. There could be motions of non-confidence, things like that, which typically happens in a minority government situation. This deal between the Liberals and NDP has given us some stability in Canada, but it's not a stability that we normally have with minority governments. So if they can't live up to their end of the bargain on pharmacare, uh, at least in the eyes of the NDP, the NDP has the option to pull out. They've always had that option. And at the NDP convention recently in Hamilton, members voted on a motion to basically give Singh the out to pull out if he wanted to, which, he, again, he's always had that option. But I guess going back to the membership to get that approval is always good for any party leader. Uh, so he got that approval once more that he can pull out if he feels like the liberals aren't living up to their end. The conservatives riding high in the polls right now. I can't see why the liberals would want to head to an election. So maybe giving in to some of the NDP demands would serve you know, their benefit in holding off an election as long as possible because... The way things look right now, it's going to be a blue wave across Canada. So it'll be just interesting to see the way the Liberals handle this. And the other thing I'll mention about uh, what is to come, we're still awaiting the fall economic update 
from Finance Minister Christia Freeland. We've got debates going on about the Canada pension plan and whether Alberta joins. Right. That's a big issue. Uh, and we're going to have, at the end of this week, a meeting of provincial and federal uh, counterparts on that. But that economic update, you know, a big issue for Canadians that the Liberals finally pivoted on over at the end of the summer to start off this parliamentary session is that they recognize that affordability is an issue that they've been trailing behind on and they need to address a little bit better with Canadians. Will we see any more help? Will we see any measures in the economic update that will ease some of the financial pain Canadians are feeling? We'll have to wait and see, but the government can't do that while also claiming that it's trying to get its financial affairs in order, which it has been doing for a while now. So, you know, it's, it's a huge juggling act for the finance minister to do things to help people, not create a worse scenario, as some economists have pointed out, because too much federal help might actually push us into a recession and also try to appease all the demands and promises that them as a party have made, uh, but also that are coming in from outside. So a lot on the plate for this government, a lot to think about, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see how it rolls out. But I, I don't see liberals wanting to head to the polls anytime soon for a variety of different reasons right now. And they've got to try not to continue to undermine their singular policy achievement. Cormac, thank you so much for breaking this down. And I am sure we will talk uh, when we're fighting over the Pharmacare bill. I, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about in the months ahead. That's for sure. Cormac McSweeney in Ottawa for City News. That was the big story for more, including previous interviews with Cormac and all the ones to come. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you have a topic suggestion or even just a question you'd like us to ask next time we cover a certain topic, you can find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email it to hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. Or you can call us and talk it out on a voicemail, 416-935-5935. You'll find The Big Story in every podcast player, and while you're there, like us, follow us, subscribe us, rate us, review us, whatever you like. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.